Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 34. A Siege, a Sir, a Sword and a Shield. Many years had passed since the Round Table first came to Camelot. Its sieges, with their magical gold words, had all been filled over the years. Some had been filled more than once as knights came and went, or died and were replaced. Only one had never been occupied. Only one had remained free. Nobody had dared to try and sit in the siege perilous. Its gold lettering told everyone that only the best and purest knight could ever sit there. The Feast of Pentecost had come round again. Everyone came to town this year because they'd heard a prophecy had been given. Something big was going to happen at the feast. On the day before Pentecost, the lords, ladies and knights sat down to dinner expectantly. They didn't have to wait long. Not long after they started eating, a young lady strode confidently into the great hall and demanded to know if Sir Lancelot of the Lake was present. Lancelot was present, of course, and he stood up and let her know who he was. She demanded he follow her, promising they would return by the following night. His cousins, Lionel and Bors, went with him. The three knights were led to a nunnery. When they entered, they were told to wait. They kicked their heels impatiently for a while before a noise made them look up. Three nuns had entered the room, bringing with them a young man. He was, without doubt, the most handsome man any of them had ever seen. As well as being very good-looking, he exuded a strange sort of serenity. His eyes shone with peace and goodness. The three knights looked at him in awe and said nothing. Before long, one of the nuns spoke. Sir, they said to Lancelot, we would like to present you with this boy we have helped to raise. He must be made a knight and he must be knighted by you. Lancelot was not in the habit of knighting people just because a few nuns told him to, but he decided this time he should make an exception. The following morning he did just that. The young man was knighted. Lancelot asked the new knight to accompany them back to Camelot, but the boy refused. The nuns told Lancelot he would come to Camelot soon, but not today. Lancelot nodded reluctantly, and the three left the nunnery. On their way out, Sir Bors turned to his brother and cousin, and spoke softly and seriously. If I am not very much mistaken, Sir Lancelot of the Lake, that is your son, Galahad. Lancelot nodded. He knew that it was true. Silently the three knights rode back to King Arthur's court, and then strange things began to happen. The Pentecost party was in full swing. Everyone had been enjoying themselves so much they'd failed to see something truly remarkable which happened right under their noses. When Lionel entered the Great Hall, he strode over to the Siege Perilous. Something inside him had given him a hunch that he should look at it. When he did, he froze. Unable to find words, he simply waved his arms and beckoned for the king to come over to him. Arthur spotted him and walked over to the Siege Perilous. With Gawain and Lancelot peering over his shoulder, he looked at it. Then he looked up at Lionel and then at Gawain. Nobody spoke. One by one they filed past the siege and saw what had happened. The lettering, which had warned that only the chosen knight could sit in the seat, had changed. Now, sparkling in gold, the message was very different. 454 years will pass after the death of our Lord Jesus. On the day of Pentecost after this time, this siege will find its master. That day was now. It was the Feast of Pentecost. 454 years had passed. Lancelot covered up the letters, announcing the seat should remain unseen until the Chosen One arrived. Only he and his cousins knew they had already seen him. 
There was no time for this momentous news to sink in, though. As soon as the siege perilous was covered, a squire barged into the court and told everyone to come outside and go down to the river. The squire was obviously agitated, and the entire party, deciding this must be the day for strange events, followed him to the riverbank. When they got there, it was quite clear why. Floating just above the water was a stone, and planted in the stone was a sword. Those who had been around since the beginning of Arthur's reign knew exactly what this meant. They knew where the sword had come from. Many, many years before, a young woman had come into court bearing the sword. It had been fixed inside its sheath, and only one knight had been able to withdraw it. Sir Balin the Savage had achieved the sword, but he had refused to give it back to the lady. Balin was cursed from that day on, and as prophesied, with it he killed the man he most loved, his brother Balan. After Balin died, Merlin had set it in the stone and magically floated it above the water. He'd known that one day it would find its way to Camelot. Written on the stone, in gold letters of course, were Merlin's words. No one will take me except for the knight by whose side I will hang, and that will be the best knight in the world. Arthur turned to Lancelot. Well, that's you. Go on, draw the sword. Nope, said Lancelot, it's not me. I'm not worthy. I know that if anyone tries and fails, then this sword will cause him great ills. Arthur wasn't pleased, but he let it go. Then he turned to Gawain and demanded the same of his nephew. Gawain tried to refuse. He trusted Lancelot and knew his friend was telling the truth. Arthur brushed away his complaints and told him to damn well do it. Gawain knew where his ultimate loyalties lay, and he did as he was told. Unsurprisingly, he failed to withdraw the sword. Lancelot spoke seriously to Gawain. I wish you hadn't done that, my friend. You will wish you had never laid your hands on that accursed sword. Arthur, seemingly unconcerned by Lancelot's words, told Percival to have a go. He, of course, couldn't take it either. Nobody else dared to try, and Arthur began to regret making two of his best knights attempt to take the sword. Everyone trudged back to dinner, a little subdued. They sat down to eat, but had not been noshing for long when an old man walked in, leading a young knight dressed in red. He spoke. My Lord Arthur, I bring you a knight. He is descended from Joseph of Arimathea through the Fisher Kings. He will accomplish great things in foreign lands. The young knight said nothing. He followed the older man as he walked round the round table. He followed him past the seat where Percival sat. He followed him to the Siege Perilous. The old man lifted the cloth and revealed the gold letters. The king and his knights crowded round and peered at the seat. For the second time that day, an amazed silence fell. Yet again, the letters had changed. The party-goers stared, struggling to take it in. What they read was simple and shocking. This is the siege of Sir Galahad. The chosen one had arrived. The old man beckoned to the knight dressed in red and told him to sit down in his seat. For the first time, Galahad spoke. Thank you. You may go now, your task is complete. Go home to my mother and King Pelham, the Fisher King, and give them my best wishes. Tell them I will see them soon. The old man turned and left. Galahad sat down in the Siege Perilous. Some of the knights winced a little as he did, expecting it to fry him to a crisp, but it didn't. He sat down, smiled serenely, and began to eat his dinner. Bors and Lionel started to tell the knights this was Galahad, son of Lancelot and Elaine, and before long the stunned silence had turned into raucous cheering. This was a truly great day. Arthur turned to Gawain. His voice was strained with emotion. Loyal nephew, 
he said. Galahad is here among us, the good and perfect knight. Let's enjoy ourselves for a while, but I know things will never be the same again. Soon my knights will attempt the quest for the Holy Grail, and never will I see you all together in Camelot again. Sir, replied Gawain, you and I have served our land together for many years. I would love for us to carry on as we are, but we both know that it cannot be. We both know this is our destiny. We can't change it, and we must accept it. My service to you has been my life, and I will always serve you. For now, though, we must be led by Galahad. Arthur nodded, too emotional to speak. Gathering up the knights, he walked down to the river, leading Galahad to the water's edge. Word had reached the Queen, and she hurried to see the young man. She was intrigued to see the son of her great love. She arrived just in time to see Sir Galahad pull the sword from the stone and raise it above his head. He turned and addressed the crowd. I have taken this sword because this adventure is mine. This sword fits perfectly into my scabbard, and now I have what I need. The sword was once in the possession of Sir Balin the Savage, a good and noble knight. With it he slew his brother Sir Balan. He inflicted the dolorous stroke on my grandfather King Pelham, and he still has the wound. His wound will not heal until I treat him. This sword should not have been Sir Balin's. It is mine. There was much cheering. King Arthur told Galahad he would find a shield when the time was right, and then he would be fully equipped for the quest of the Holy Grail. The quest clearly wasn't going to be long in coming, as a lady had arrived and told Lancelot the Holy Grail would appear to King Arthur and his knights that very day, and on that very day, the quest would begin. Now, what has to happen before anything momentous goes down in Camelot? What must take place before anyone can embark on a great quest? Yep, King Arthur declared there would be a tournament held there and then on the banks of the river in Camelot. Everyone was to take part. Galahad armed himself with a lance but refused to take a shield. Even without a shield, he was completely awesome. Every knight who challenged him and battled with him was thrown to the ground. It was quite clear that here was a marvellous fighting knight as well as a pure and honourable one. He unhorsed virtually everyone who came up against him, even Sir Tristram. At the end of the day, only Sir Lancelot and Sir Percival had not been thrown from their horses after a blow from Galahad's lance. The knights of the round table made their way back to court. When they got there, every knight sat in his seat and for the first and last time, every siege at the round table was occupied. When they were all seated, a hush descended over the table. It was as if everyone was expecting something truly amazing to happen. The knights prepared to eat, but were stopped in their tracks by a deafening crack of thunder. Many of the knights threw themselves to the floor and began to dive under the table. The sound was so loud, it was as if the palace was cracking and about to fall on them. Nothing happened, though, and slowly they returned to their seats. As they did so, they were aware that things were getting brighter. A dazzling sunbeam radiated across the room seven times brighter than ever the sun had shone before. The knights looked at each other, perplexed and a little frightened. Not one of them uttered a word. The knights sat, illuminated by this unnaturally bright light for some time. Still they didn't speak. Then, through the great door came a magical sight. The Holy Grail appeared, covered in a white cloth. The palace was filled with amazing smells of all the spices of the world. The grail circled around the hall, hovering over each knight's plate. As it did so, each plate was filled with the favourite food of that night. When every plate was full, the holy grail disappeared. It vanished into thin air 
and nobody knew where it had gone. Slowly, the knights regained the power of speech. They chatted excitedly about what they had just seen. Arthur spoke to Gawain. This is amazing. We have been fed by God. Gawain responded. Sir, I don't think you quite realise what's happened here. We have each been fed by what we desired by the Holy Grail, but none of us actually saw it. It was covered by that cloth, and now it has disappeared. I will make a vow to you today, as you and I both know I must. I will seek the Holy Grail for a year and a day, or longer if necessary. I will not return to court until I have found out whether I am worthy of seeing the Grail. Many of the knights overheard Sir Gawain, and they began to stand. All of them swore the same vow. All of them pledged to seek out the Grail. The king was aghast. He knew there would be a quest, and he knew a few knights would go on it, but he hadn't expected everyone to want to crack at the challenge. He complained to Gawain. Know what you've done. You've deprived me of every knight in my service. Many of you won't return. Lots of you will die. I love my lights like sons and brothers, and I'm filled with sadness. I know many of them I will never see again. I don't think I'm strong enough to cope with the losses. I feel a great dread that some of those closest to me I won't see ever again. Lancelot addressed his king. Sir Gawain is right. It is our destiny and our duty to follow this quest. You must not give in to fear. You must be resolute. And anyway, if anyone doesn't make it, there can be no more honourable death than this. King Arthur stared at his greatest knight. Lancelot, it is because I love my knights that I feel such great sorrow. No king has ever had such a superb set of the most valiant knights. No other king has so much wisdom to call upon. It is because of all of you that our great land has been kept safe for so long. Never will you all be reunited, and I cannot be happy today. But I know you must go, and I wish each and every one of you the best of fortune. And when it was all said there was a declaration that the quest for the Holy Grail had officially begun. Queen Guinevere sat down by Galahad and spoke softly to him. He was led to a chamber to sleep for the last time in Camelot. In the morning, everyone rose early. King Arthur went to see his two favourite knights. Alas, he said, never again will my court be filled with so many great knights. I'll be wounded by the loss of any of them, but their departure grieves me less than yours. You two are my backbone and my strength. No man could love another as much as I love the two of you. Many, many years ago I recognised greatness in both of you and I was right. Please come back safely, even if nobody else does. Lancelot and Gawain were moved by their master's words and each nodded sincerely. Then they gathered up their arms and collected their men. Everyone was led into the church for a service to honour the quest. Each man swore an oath. Sir Galahad was the first to swear the oath, as it was his quest. Gawain and Lancelot came next, and then the other 147 knights. Then each man filed out, and the quest was underway. Many of the knights needed to return home to their castles to prepare themselves for the quest. The knights went their separate ways. Sir Tristram returned to Joyous Guard to see La Belle Isoude one more time before going on the quest. Sir Galahad travelled alone, until after five days he came to an abbey. Being a God-fearing and worthy chap, he decided to pop in for a bit of a spiritual top-up. When he walked into the abbey, he saw two other questers. King Bagdemagus and Sir Uain were already there. When they saw Galahad, they began to chatter excitedly to him. They told him that in the abbey hung a shield. It was no ordinary shield. Apparently, 
any knight who wore it would be dead or seriously wounded within three days. King Bagdemagdus had decided he was going to take the shield. He was warned by one of the monks not to do it. Only the purest and best knight could escape the shield's curse. Of course, the inevitable happened. King Bagdemagus took the shield, left the abbey and within a few hours had been severely wounded by a knight dressed in white. The knight told Bagdemagus he was a complete idiot and took the shield. Then he handed it to a young squire and told him to take it back to the abbey. There, give the shield to Sir Galahad, he said. The shield was presented to Galahad. Uwain told him that it must, like the sword from the stone, be meant only for him. Galahad was ready at last. He was fully equipped to take on the quest for the Holy Grail. King Bagdemagus was brought terribly wounded to the abbey. Eventually he would recover, but his pain lasted a long time. The silly man was out of action early in the quest. He would not be one of the ones who achieved the Grail. And nor would another member of the Fellowship of the Round Table. Sir Alessander, son of Prince Boudouin, brother of King Mark, rode off excitedly, ready for the greatest adventure of his life. Away from Camelot he was unprotected, and this was all that King Mark needed. The evil King of Cornwall, long since released from prison, took his chance. He sent two assassins with dastardly instructions. They took poor Alessander by surprise. He was pulled from his horse and murdered. The quest for the Holy Grail had got off to a bad start. It had hardly begun, and already one knight was dead, and one other too injured to carry on. Sadly, there was to be an even greater tragedy before there was any success. Next time, we will find out what that tragedy is. Before I go today, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to those of you who have donated via the website. I do this podcast for fun, not for money, but any generous donations help with the hosting costs, so once again, thank you very much. Anyone who would like to donate, please go to the website www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com where you will find the donation button. I would also be extremely grateful for any good reviews and ratings on iTunes. If you have any questions, or you'd like to feed anything back to me, then please contact me by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com, or go to Facebook and friend me there, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, until next time, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you then.